me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame for it's one, two, three strikes you out at the old ball game. Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get Two. I'm your host, James Christopher, coming to you from hot AF Austin, Texas. It is 104 degrees outside, and because I am a professional, my ceiling fan is off, so it's about, I don't know, 88 degrees and rising in my office. But thanks for joining us for another episode, for another of our celebrations of 100 episodes. This is part two of episode 100. Now, before we jump into what we got going on, I want to do a shout out to the Western Michigan Whitecaps. One of the coolest logos in the MILB. Finally getting a chance to wear the shirt. I actually joke with it later on in one of the interviews a little later on about the fact that this is, in fact, the first time I wore the shirt that I bought months ago. We do have a great episode coming for you today. We have a pretty heavy MILB episode. Jeff Lance, the Senior Communications Director for the MILB, is here. We're also talking to the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, the Corpus Christi Hooks, and the Round Rock Express. And we're also going to be talking to our good buddy, Scotty, from Before the Pitch, about exactly who is Clint Frazier. But before we jump in, I do want to reiterate a story that really kind of drove our show for the end of season one into the majority of season two until the pandemic hit, and that is MILB contraction. There hasn't been a lot of news lately, in part because Major League Baseball has really not engaged in negotiations. They have essentially punted it. There's been a lot of very similar exchanges when it came to what was going on with the players and the league when they were trying to figure out whether they should play. A lot of, uh, oh, we're negotiating in good faith and that suggestion is a non-starter. A lot of rhetoric like that. I just cannot reiterate how important it is that we keep the pressure on Major League Baseball to keep them from killing baseball in 42 teams. It will devastate communities. It will have a long-term devastation on the game of baseball itself. And it's just a really bad look to do right now. The majority of these teams are owned by small groups, small businesses. They are there. They're in it for the community. They're not making millions and millions of dollars. I think when people think of sports owners, they think of um, Fortata, Fortita, whoever it is that owns the Rockets, or they think of Mark Cuban, or they think of George Steinbrenner. They think of these multi-billionaires. When it comes to minor league baseball, these are usually family-run operations. They are... They're for the community. They need us, but we also need them. And the one thing I would drive home is, is if you take baseball from 42 communities, you can promise you're going to support independent leagues or collegiate summer leagues all you want. But we all know that, that that's a naive thought and that once major league baseball cuts ties, they're gone. 
What you've done is you've robbed the future of your sport as far as potential future fans in two ways. One, you've created acrimony. Um, baseball is a weird game where we might forgive behaviors out of football or basketball or hockey, but there are baseball fans that I know who quit watching after the 1994 strike and didn't watch again. People who gave up on baseball when they re- when the steroid thing was revealed. As the sign stealing stuff gets more ubiquitous, there are people leaving the game for that. Baseball fans leave. If you take baseball from 40 to 42 communities, they are going to punish you by no longer buying gear and by supporting the major league teams that exist. Now, Major League Baseball doesn't care in the short term because in the short term, they won't feel it. But it's a real problem. But the other thing you have, the other reason why it's dangerous for Major League Baseball to not do their best to preserve these communities. You're just going to lose people who are just never going to get introduced to the sport. I've made the argument before and it stands by. How many times do we hear from people who don't know baseball, baseball on TV is boring. You don't hear that about basketball. You don't hear that about football. You don't hear that about hockey, which means in those three sports, you can grow your brand without having a minor league system. You can't have somebody stumble onto, you know, a Cowboys 49ers game and walk away intrigued. Baseball and particularly the way baseball is presented on television doesn't allow for that. And so if you lose people's connection of transferring, here's an event I had, here's an experience I had in a park, and I'm going to transfer that emotion of that event to something that happened on TV, you're going to lose people who care about the game. You're going to lose people who, who, who might have become lifelong fans. You're also going to lose future players. You're just going to lose. So much of it's been disingenuous from being very secretive about what teams are on the list to get contracted by having a moving target about what they want. The biggest thing, and this is something I think we can all relate to in 2020 when unemployment has risen, when people, when the, um, the results of being underemployed and not being able to have enough savings to survive being out of work for a little while really show up. When Major League Baseball says, One of the benefits of cutting 42 teams, going from 160 to 120, but removing 42 and then bringing in two independent league teams. And when they say that, oh, that means we can pay the 120 remaining better. Any other industry says, hey, we're going to increase pay by cutting, what is it, 25, 30 percent of our workforce. We would not tolerate that in any other industry as a country. We wouldn't, especially coming from the mouths of billionaires. If Amazon said we're going to raise the, the our minimum wage by reducing our workforce by 30 percent, we would freak out. We need to be freaking out about this from the baseball perspective. We need to listen to the Congress people who say by moving this team, you're not just going to kill morale in our town, but you're going to take away jobs. You're going to take away opportunity. You're going to take away all the ancillary money that comes in when people visit a ballpark. So get informed. We will start talking about this more as the deadline for them to have an agreement gets closer and closer and nothing else happens. But like I said, we do have a good episode for you today. Jeff Lance is here. We're going to be talking to the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, the Corpus Christi Hooks, the Round Rock Express, and our good buddies from Before the Pitch are here to talk a little Yankees Mets. So stay with us. 
On deck, the Let's Get To interview brought to you by Marco Fine Arts. So we're thrilled to welcome to you as we celebrate the 100th episode, uh, great friend of the show, uh, Jeff Lance from the, the Senior Communications Director for Minor League Baseball. Jeff, how's it going? Very good. I can't complain other than we don't have any minor league baseball to watch. It's starting to really actually wear me out. Like I find myself um, ordering shirts. I think I've ordered like seven of those 2020 suck shirts. Like my <laughs> wife's like, you're never going to wear them all. I mean, I have had this for like four months and I'm finally getting it busted out for this interview. Yeah. Um, how are you guys staying? You guys staying safe though that down there in Florida, everybody? Yeah, we're, uh, you know, they've closed down our office and everybody's uh, working from home and it's actually, uh, you know, outside of the interaction with people on a daily basis, it's, you know, the productivity seems to be the same. Everybody's getting the work done and, uh, it's, you know, it's not, a, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're getting by. Yeah. Um, can you give us an update then? Like, how are we living with the negotiations with major league baseball? I, I it's like everything else, I guess. There's a lot of what looks like fake information in the news. Yeah. It's been, uh, kind of a wait and see, uh, process, I guess you could say the, we have sent a proposal that was <laughs> quickly leaked to the media by someone, uh, that, uh, you know, outlines a lot of things that major league baseball was hoping to see. And, and we were willing to make some concessions on a handful of things. So we are currently waiting to hear back from MLB and get their thoughts on that proposal and see if there are some discussion starters there that uh, potentially we can get a, a deal going here. I can't imagine. And it's funny because it seems like the MLB is running or maybe that's just where we are in 2020, a very similar playbook where this, this, this in the public dismissing of things, how are you supposed to actually have a conversation if you feel like you can't have a conversation without what you're saying getting leaked out to the media? Right. It's uh <laughs> everybody's talking about good faith negotiations and, and you like to think that both sides are willing to, to do that, but it's hard to say where the leaks are coming from. Uh, it could be us, could be them. We have to share a lot of stuff with our owners and teams. So once you start sharing documents and information with 160 teams and, and then also sharing it with major league baseball and, and all the people involved there. It's hard to say. I'm, I'm not a investigative reporter. So I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to begin even looking for a leak, but it's, uh, I know where it's not, and it's not here. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, that doesn't make it any easier when, when there are leaks, it's obviously a, a a problem. And yeah. It's, uh, it's unfortunate that it's happened and, and, but it's, you know, we have a responsibility to our teams to keep them up to date on what's going on. And, and if somebody wants to take that information and, and pass it on to somebody, it's really hard for us to stop it, I guess. Yeah. And it, and you know, the one thing I think that has to be the biggest challenge for your job, maybe not challenge, but opportunity is you really have 160 very different communities, very different organizations that you're trying to represent. Um, but I wanted to ask about those, you know, um, how are they like, what is the morale like of these teams, particularly like there's been some teams that were leaked to be contracted and maybe they are, and maybe they aren't. I got to imagine that they're just living in an added degree of stress with COVID in the backdrop. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's difficult for everybody across minor league baseball right now, whether they're in our office or one of our teams. Uh, like you said, the the list that came out that put forty two teams in a pretty bad spot and pretty nerve wracking spot to be in. Uh, you know the just the whole situation between not having a, a season either to go with that, you know, if, if that's the case and they end up losing those teams, it's really unfortunate that those teams didn't get a chance to have a farewell season. Uh, it's just, yeah, it, it's a bad spot for those people to be in. Uh, all the different ownership groups, you know, a couple of those teams are owned by the same group. So, uh, you know, it's really going to make it tough for those people and it's just uh, it's kind of sad to see and it's it's really unfortunate for all the, the teams that we do expect to stay they're all having to lay off their staff as well because of the pandemic so uh, whether it's furloughs or layoffs everybody's dealing with something uh, pay cuts all, all kinds of things so uh, we try and follow up with the teams as best we can and just kind of see are there new people that we need to contact for different things, whether it's a negotiation update or if it's uh, if we want to send something to their local media, do we have a new contact for public relations people? Cause yeah. a lot of those people are being laid off or furloughed, whatever the case may be. So hopefully a lot of these people will be able to find some kind of a job to get by until uh, the news breaks on next season when we'll be able to start and, bring a lot of those people back, hopefully, but I expect our teams to lose some really good people because they're not going to wait around for a paycheck. A lot of these people are very talented and and very uh, skilled. So if we, if our teams can't keep them on the payroll, somebody, a lot of these people are really bright. So I I would imagine there are some other companies out there that would like to take a shot with them. It does feel like a microcosm of what the country is going through. You know, we've, we've got a guy on our show all the time. His name is Jess Canaster and we followed his career from when he was an intern through working for Midland now full-time job in Lancaster just for have COVID happen. And then we've had, we've had Chris Almondaris on the show who talked about, you know, them doing the TCL thing just so they could keep from not having to furlough everyone. It really does feel like it is very much a microcosm of what the country is going through. Yeah, it's uh, like they always say, baseball is a game of adjustments and and our uh, teams have had to make quite a few adjustments this year. It's the the teams doing the TIL. That's been a great thing for them. They've been able to keep playing baseball games and keep people coming to the ballpark. Um, Not the full capacity that Round Rock is used to and some of the other players are used to, but tell you what, a thousand people beats no people. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, and if that's what it takes to keep the the cooks in the kitchen and the, the graphic design people and the social media people, keep them all employed, all for it. It really just, just feels like with everybody else, we just have to survive this thing and then yeah. whatever. And I, I really do think eventually when we're back, people are going to be excited to be back. I, I think. Oh, I can't even imagine what opening down meant. I might be crying on opening day next year at my league game. It's uh, uh, I, even my son when we drive by the the ballpark down here in Clearwater. He's just like ball game. Are we going to the ball game? 
Mike, ah, buddy, sorry. <laughs> Not tonight. Not tonight. Yeah, we were uh, supposed to take my granddaughter to the Hillsboro Hops for her very first game. She's uh, four months old and we ended up doing the pickles and it was great, but it was not what we were expecting. But some some brighter news. Um, you know, I'm going to be attending the Innovator Summit, the virtual thing. Uh, we, I think we got our approval in the mail from when we applied for the stuff. Um, can you maybe tell people what that is? Like wh- why wh- and why it's so cool? Because it seems like sure. the, one of the coolest things. Yeah, it's, uh, it started, oh man, many, many years ago. It's been around for a few decades now. Uh, started in El Paso. It was called the El Paso Seminar. And Jim Paul was a guy that ran a team there that, uh, had a handful of guys that would come down. And they'd meet up every year and, and talk about the, the previous year and what their teams did to make money and, and what promotions they did that were successful and what they did that maybe backfired. Uh, and it just kind of swelled over the years into this big thing that became available to all the teams. Miley baseball, uh, actually bought the rights to it. Um, and we now have hundreds and hundreds of people from teams all over the country come in. Uh, we usually host it in a minor league city. Uh, it was supposed to be in Winston Salem this year, but obviously with the pandemic, we can't do that. So, um, uh, we're doing it virtually this year and you know basically it's it's an opportunity for all these teams to get together listen to everybody else's ideas what their best promotions were what maybe if they had one that they would change or do over do it in a different way uh what that you know how they would change it or why they wouldn't do it at all um what issues they hadn't faced so it's really a neat opportunity for the teams and the personnel to get together and do some networking. And, you know, if you hear something that says, Hey, maybe we can do that. And and two months later, you can call Joe in, in uh, Idaho Falls and say, Hey, tell me more about that promotion you guys did again. And and they can tell you how it went down and, you know, how much they benefited from it financially or just PR wise. So it's really a neat, uh, you know, it's, it's turned into a four day deal when it's in person and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, you know, obviously there's a, an evening component where you get to hang out with the people from the other teams and yeah. have a few cold ones and tell some stories and, you know, kind of reminisce on some funny things that happened over the previous season or whatever. And it's always, uh, it's a really enjoyable week. Yeah. I'm looking forward to even to just get to peek in on it. Um, I, I'm was thrilled that they got back to us. And, uh, I guess uh, the other good news is, you know, let's get to, we are, um, coming from the film festival world. I believe that people should be recognized for great work and we do our own awards and Jeff, you're going to be our executive of the year this year. Uh, our team voted this past weekend. So congratulations. Thank you very much. That's great. We'll get your, we'll get your award out to you, but really thank you for everything you've done for our show, but more importantly, everything that you do for minor league baseball, you know, I, people really need to recognize how important it is. I appreciate it. It's very nice for you. And, uh, you know, as a baseball fan, I I just love the game. I always, I grew up going to minor league games and always thought it'd be cool to work in minor league baseball someday and, and just kind of find a, kind of found this role as part of my career and it's been a lot of fun working with our teams and just being in constant contact with everybody and, and uh, still getting a chance to work with the media and do our, do the PR thing has always been fun for me and, and uh, just developing a lot of great relationships and 
relationship with you guys is no different. And congratulations on your 100th show. Who's on first? The Let's Get to Local 9, brought to you by Zoomer Sport. So we are thrilled to be back with friend of the show, Victoria Huggins, on our 100th episode. How are you? Wonderful. Happy 100th anniversary. It's a centennial episode of Let's Get To, and I'm so honored to be a part of it. We're thrilled that you agreed to come back on. Yeah, it's been crazy. It's been a, a, a weird and a lot of fun and very satisfying run, and we're looking forward to 100 more. That's awesome. Well, I did have a special guest that wanted to say happy 100th anniversary. This is Mini Bunker. Mini Bunker. But when you check your email box here in a little bit, you'll actually have a special message from the main red cockaded woodpecker bunker who wanted to celebrate with us today. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, I look out for my Let's Get To podcast people and especially you. You absolutely do. No, it's been, it's honestly been so much fun getting to know you and like this whole journey that I think that's what baseball is about, right? It's about people and you're one of the best that I know. So there you go. (laughs) Um, There's really nothing like minor league baseball, to be honest, because of the community engagement. And um, I know personally for me, it's wonderful when we do have our fans come into the ballpark. We haven't been able to have that happen in 2020, but fingers crossed that's happening very soon um, with some socially distanced events. But in 2019, what was so special was we knew our season ticket holders by name and they knew us by name. And you don't really get that experience if you're in a larger scale um, operation. So I think that's what minor league baseball is. They love to be able to be, you know, on the dugout and doing the activities with our on-field MCs and going on knocker balls and everything yeah. on the field and just so many different things that make them feel like they are a part of the show. I'm excited to get back out there too to see because when we went, you know, there was still so much construction happening around yeah. the park. I can't <laughs> wait to see where it is now. Well, Hurley Plaza is officially complete. We have trees. We have asphalt that is permanent. Um, It's just a very beautiful thing. And we've actually got a few things up our sleeves for 2021 in partnership with the huge parking garage that was being built when you came and saw us. Um, Uh But it's going to have quite the welcome for our Woodpeckers fans. So stay tuned for that update. I can't let the cat out of the bag quite yet. No, no breaking news yet. Um, So but what it, what is it looking like for you guys for the rest of the year? Like you guys try to have some events out there at Segra to kind of get people, get people together. We are. We're really thankful for the uh, partnership that we have between the city of Fayetteville and our organization. We've really worked together interconnected to try and make a safe plan going forward on getting fans back out to the ballpark, but still protecting our community. So we've been working hand in hand with them with constant meetings on a weekly basis to see what we can do. Currently, we're still in phase two here in North Carolina under the governor's mandate. So we're still limited. But when we do receive that all clear, then we're going to be having a movie night. We're going to be having an educational day where we're going to be able to hopefully welcome a few more of those children who are still virtual right now in their learning, maybe incorporating a little bit of that with sports into their curriculum. So we're working closely with the local school systems on that. And then some other really fun things that we're going to do, maybe a little smaller scale of our fall festival that was so successful last year. But the main thing that we're celebrating is 
Check out my bling. Oh, it's here. This is so cool. Isn't that gorgeous? That's gorgeous, darling. Simply <laughs> fabulous. American uh, League Championship. And I'm so excited because it's that. I'm trying to hold it up to the camera so you can see. So that's yeah. 2019 right there. And it has on it um, the different years that we won the American League Championship on the inside of the ring. So 20. 19, 2017, and 2005. And then on this side of it, it has the state of Texas and my name on it. And your name. How cool. <laughs> so when I've you, never had this much bling before. So talk to me about, like, I guess it came in the mail because you can't, they couldn't bring it to you. <laughs> Correct. So, all so of what it was, was it like opening it? All of it was delivered to Seger Stadium and we had an itemized Excel spreadsheet as far as when we would go and have curbside pickup from our office manager so that we could not go inside of the stadium since it's on lockdown. Um, And then we had a virtual happy hour that was scheduled with our wonderful director of uh, local operations, Dan O'Neill, who who oversees us as well as the Corpus Christi Hooks um, from the main scheme of things from the Houston Astros and uh, we all opened them together and it was a phenomenal thing to be a part of because the Astros truly believe in that teamwork um, initiative that everyone no matter who you are what you do where you are on the payroll you contribute to the success of the Astros organization so I'm very appreciative to work for them and to have this Special You're going to have a massive bicep by the time you wear that around. It's got to be huge, right? Oh, yes. Well, as uh, I, I grew up in Robinson County, uh-huh. and uh, so I'm just like, this is a Robinson County ring right here. I mean, I can <laughs> knock somebody out if I need to with it. <laughs> I just have this image now of you like underground fighting and you spring out the ring and you're just wailing on people. I love it. Oh, goodness. Well, you know, a woman has to, you know, protect herself in this day and time. So, you know, it's nice to have a little bling to work with. Absolutely. Um, so have you been able to watch it? Like, so you're watching a lot of your woodpeckers or playing like like the whole thing with Paredes was great. And they and they flash yeah. back to Fayetteville. What, what has all been like that been like? Because these were your kids last year. If you could have seen our group chat between all of our staff members when they did the highlight on Anoli with our Fayetteville promotion last year of Anoli's cannolis, <laughs> yeah. we were flipping out. You would have thought that sliced bread had become the greatest thing again on the planet because we just thought it was amazing. And we're so proud of him and all of our woodpeckers. That's the beauty of this organization is that one day you see them on the plate in Fayetteville and then you never know when you turn on your television, you might just be seeing them playing for the Houston Astros on the major league baseball field. And that's just a testament to hard work, dedication, yeah. and also that fan, you know, a support. And Paredes has done well too, which has been really cool because he hasn't pitched much above a ball and to come in and just electric. Yep. He's yeah. He's looked great. Yeah, he's kind of skipped over a few plates, but you know, we believed in Anoli uh, from everything that we saw on the field in Fayetteville. We knew he was going to be great. So now to actually see that 
play out on our screens where we can cheer for him from the comfort of our own homes. I think that that's really amazing. And all of our boys are doing well. You know, it just takes time getting in the groove and, you know, just having that opportunity. Nobody will ever be able to take that away from any of them. They will be able to say, I played in Minute Maid Park for the Astros. You're exactly right. Um, and speaking of the Woodpeckers, so I guess you guys are now set, you're, you're almost in official off season mode anyway. Are y'all planning for next year? Are you having to plan like everybody's there or social? I mean, how is that all working for you guys? We are. It's a constant moving process. To be honest, since we found out that our season was canceled, we immediately began looking towards 2021. Um, our event staff and our operations staff have been looking primarily to, you know, do what we can in 2020. But marketing, sales, partnerships, everything else, we're forward thinking and already looking towards 2021. We're basically going to be rolling over a lot of the plans that we had for 2020, but jumbo sizing them, if you will, because we want to make it even bigger, even better for our season ticket holders, for our partners, and for everyone who was originally coming to our games in 2020. Mm -hmm. They'll get a double taste and an even better fan experience in 2021. Well, we will be out there. Uh, Victoria, if we don't see you before, because uh, I won't even run into you like at the winter meetings, because I'm sure those will be virtual as well. Um, we'll have you on before the season kicks off, and we'll be back at Fayetteville next year. That is my promise. Yeah, I will be live at Segra Stadium. Thanks so much for being a big part of our show. And, and let me just compliment you on your Fayetteville attire. You're looking fabulous, as always, you. representing the brand. Always do. Thanks again so much for being part of our show. I appreciate it. You're welcome and happy 100th anniversary episode of Let's Get To. And now, Before the Deuce. So we are back here on Before the Deuce. It is our 100th anniversary week. And we've, of course, got our good friends from Before the Pitch. Scotty's here where you can learn and love baseball no matter what shade of blue you root for. Did I get it right? Yeah, you did get it right. I'm wearing a different shade of blue right now. You are. I'm wearing my Myrtle Beach Pelicans hat. And I want to send a shout out to the Myrtle Beach Pelicans because me and a couple of my friends who uh, we all played high school together, um, we all wound up coaching youth teams around the area. It was just last weekend. We all wound up at the same field at the same time, kind of crossing each other's paths. We're sitting and talking. Someone says, hey, guys, you know, you know, what came up in my uh, Facebook memories was you guys remember when we went to Myrtle Beach in uh, when we were sophomores in high school for that tournament. And then we, we hung around for like extra 15, 20 minutes. Everyone was late getting to what we had to do because we're all sitting and talking and laughing about it. We went to Myrtle Beach. We went in an, an AAU tournament, got our rear ends handed to us. <laughs> uh, and uh, and we, because uh, anyone who, if you're from the Northeast and you play youth sports, especially baseball, you know, once you start going down south, you're in uh you're in for an awakening to see how good you actually are. We, we oh, were wow. a really good group of kids in Connecticut. Uh, it's different when you, when you play uh, teams who get to play all year. But we went to a Pelicans game and we got to go on the field uh, as a team. We all the uniforms. So shout out to Merle Beach Pelicans for uh, creating or giving us uh, memories that, that we continue to talk about today. Yeah. Um, well, before we jump into um, what's going on with the Yankees and the Mets and just baseball in general, um, you know, let's get to, we do awards and you guys are going to be our podcast of the year. So congratulations. We'll get a plaque out, a plaque out to you guys. And uh, you guys do oh, a great you job. So man. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, 
yeah, we're real excited that, you know, we just, we love, we love the partnership and, and you guys do an amazing job coming up with really fun content. That's also positive. And anybody that watches this show knows that being on Twitter during baseball season, it's pretty awful. So you guys, yeah, we, we, we appreciate the, the partnership too. Like I, I the guy, we, we have met so many like awesome guys through you. As a matter of fact, actually you introduced us or introduced me and Billy to uh, that group of Braves fans who we just did a Braves video with. Oh, I lo- Yeah. That was so, again, uh, it was funny cause I had come up with this idea of bringing on like rival fans and saying, all right, say five things nice about the other, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. and then I saw you did something with the trivia. That was a really a really great idea. Yeah, we're, we're, we're filming another one uh, later tonight. We're doing uh, Yankees versus Mets. But here's the thing. We didn't even go to organize it. We had a group of people come to us. And oh. they said, no, no, we want to do a Yankees-Mets one. So we have a team all ready to go. And you tell us when you want to do it. I'm like, all right. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's such a such a clever idea. Well, you guys will be the, uh, the Let's Get To You podcast of the year. So we'll get plaques out. And we'll get one made for each one of you guys. So both you and Billy can get one. So are oh, you and Scott, can, Thank you so you much. And Billy Thank can get you so one. much. Um, but, you know, the Mets are the Mets, aren't they? They, they cannot catch – I mean, I, they were my pick to win the NL East, and now they've got people opting out. What's going on? Here yeah, – that's the best way to play it, the Mets are the Mets. And, and, and it was really funny. So I'm, I'm going to flash back to, to last year when the Mets were – I think it was like mid-July-ish. It was somewhere like right before, right after the All-Star break, but the Mets were in the gutter. And Billy's like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. It's another year of whatever wasted potential. And, and I said, but if you hold on, you're really not far out of the bubble. All you need is a few good bounces your way and a few bad bounces against your opponents um, over a period of time. If you guys get on a roll, I think you guys can – I call it outside the bubble. I said, you guys can jump right back into the bubble if you get on a roll. And, and, and they actually did. So they yeah. started getting on that roll. Um, I, as well as a lot of other people, were expecting that that bubble to continue and that role to continue. Um, it's really weird with the Mets. We, they, they keep flip-flopping back and forth with all of, of their problems. They, they, they can put up, just the other night, they put up like a, a bunch, a bunch of runs. Yeah. And yesterday they can't score anything. They have the, um, I think they have one of the highest batting averages in baseball. And they have the second worst batting average with runners in scoring position. Yeah. And it just seems like every time the Mets fix a problem, another one occurs. Like for, for a couple of years ago, the thing was, um, oh, the Mets got fantastic starting pitching, but no offense to support it. Last year comes along. Oh, so now the Mets have good starting pitching. They have a phenomenal offense. But now the bullpen can't keep the lead of the offense. So it still negates itself again. And now we're at this part where we have these things are all flip-flopping all the time. Nothing's consistent. And the worst part is they're not lining up at the same time. So you have, you could have DeGrom again, throwing a fantastic performance, no offense, or, or maybe no offense, bad starting pitcher, but the bullpen shows up out of nowhere and, and does really, really good. But Hansis is really stepping into his role. And, and you got these three things that, that aren't lining up at the same time. And I think that's the most difficult part. That actually feels very much like, I think a lot of teams are doing that. I think it's very much the Astros season. They're leading, I think they're fifth in average runs per game, but they have seven blown saves. Like they only played 19 games and they blow. But what's kind of cool um, about the Mets back to them. And we'll get to the Yankees in a second, but I was watching an interview with Tony Kemp and he was talking about how JD Davis is now kind of stepping into his own. And he was always that guy that couldn't find a place to play when he was in the Houston system. Are people digging JD Davis over there? 
Okay, uh, I know for a fact Billy is. I know for a fact Billy is because Good. he had been saying all last year when a lot of people were calling the trade date JD Devs, he was like, "No, don't guys, don't do it. You're gonna re- you're gonna regret trading him if you ever trade." I said, "I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, he's, he's gonna step into that role." And he did, it, and and he's digging it. So he's kind of uh, he's got those little bragging rights right right there that that he was uh, he called that a, a while ago. I'm reading a lot of positive stuff on JD Davis. I tend to see it's really weird. Is I tend to see a lot of the um, I call it the the boomer fans, like the yeah. older generation of fans who doesn't like this generation. They're the ones who I remember last year were really vouching for JD. It was a lot of the younger ones, believe it or not, who were like, no, I'd, I'd rather trade him. And I wonder if it comes from the, this um, idea of instant satisfaction. I, 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 I was born in 1994. I'm a part of that awful generation that y'all hate so much. Um, so I understand. I am not a boomer, by the way. I am only 44 years old. Calm down. <laughs> but, that, but it speaks like that generation of like, there's an instant gratification. So I, I think part of that, and it, it's a part of the same generation that keeps somehow thinking that the Yankees could trade for Jacob DeGrom by just throwing prospects at the Mets, which is an actual thing. It's, it's a, this idea of, well, if someone isn't absolutely perfect right now, he never will be perfect, so just trade him now and just oh, yeah. get something for him. And and it seems to be the other guys like no, 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 hang on, wait, good things will come when you're patient. So it's nice to see, it's nice to see that kind of perspective start to get its comeuppance with JD Davis. So let's talk a bit about the Yankees then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I am a, a tangential Yankee fan, I guess. I uh, have uh, a lot of respect, for, but I don't know the ins and outs. So Clint Frazier, we like him or don't. That, okay, so that's the thing, right? That's it. The internet is fighting about Clint Frazier. Okay, uh, the internet feels about Clint Frazier about the same way they feel about Nickelback. Um, they, you don't, they don't actually hate him. I think we, they just hate him because someone told you to hate him. Um, and, and here, here's why: it's because Clint Frazier, we, um, he was a part of, I think, the Andrew Miller trade at the end of 2016. So 2016, when the Yankees. I think it was like the earliest they ever got put, uh, knocked out of playoff contention with like an 84 win season, which to anyone else is good except for us. Um, and the Yankees kind of went on this little bit privilege. of privilege. It was, it was a very light fire sale. Yeah. Is what I call it. They, they got rid of Andrew Miller, got Clint Frazier in return. We got rid of Chapman. That's how we got Torres. Now all kind of came in that same thing. Um, Clint Frazier was this massive, massive prospect who was coming from Cleveland. And they, they keep comparing his swing to like Mickey Mantle. I remember a lot of people were saying that he has a beautiful, beautiful swing. Uh, and then he comes and then he can clearly hit very, very well. Uh, the issue is uh, he kept hitting his head, kept getting concussions. And then he started going the outfield and he was an awful, awful outfielder. I believe he was a middle infielder for most of his career up until okay. that point, though. So it's up for debate. It's like, is this a transition growing pains or is it something else? And then he had a very infamous game against the Red Sox last year. Um, it wasn't long after we played you guys down in Houston where I, there was a game, I believe it was game one. It was a competitive game. And then a couple of balls got hit to Clint and he dove and he was nowhere near them. I don't know if you remember that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. And that, that happened again against the Red Sox and the place is booing. They're throwing stuff. It was, they, they treated him awful. And, and Billy's actually, Billy knew, knew more about medical stuff than I did. He said, I wonder if this is a lingering concussion effect where he's losing depth perception, which makes sense. Cause if you yeah. look, he's always for a while, he was always squinting at a fly ball. I couldn't decide whether to go in or out. He never called off the center fielder, maybe because he lost the depth of it. Um, so he, he was an awful fielder, uh, but a really good hitter. And, and they, they were never able to, he was never able to give himself a, a um, staying power. 
in any way. So you got these two halves of Yankee fans. Half of them are, are like, well, he never got his fair shot, which is yeah. untrue. He definitely did. The other half is like, oh, he's awful. You got to get rid of him. I'm on the perspective of, um, of I root for the Yankees and I just hope he figures it out, whatever it is. I'm not a professional. I can't, I don't know what the difference is. And he comes in last night for the first time this season, first at bats a homer, second at bats a double. Then he gets a single. He comes one hit short of the cycle. His first game back in, in like a year. Yeah. And then the triple goes to DJ LeMahieu. So everyone's like, well, son of a B. So, so do we like Clint Frazier? It depends on the weather. <laughs> I love that we get a determined answer. Um, so I guess real quick then, you know, it looks like the Yankees are doing Yankee things. I think that they're going to pretty much, I mean, they're on a march to the ALCS, I think against Oakland. Um, but uh, is that how you see it? I mean, is there, how's there, is everybody cautiously optimistic over there? Or are y'all just like, let's get through the last 45 games or 40 games? Uh, well, tw- Twitter is either World Series or bust for, for them. For me personally, I see uh, way too many signs of 2018 to be comfortable. What I mean by that is um, in 2018, I-, I had always been vouching for we need guys who could just get on base and guys who can, what, what I tell the kids, keep the train moving or yeah. keep the ball rolling or, or something. And then we got DJ Mayhew, he's probably the best guy in the world to do that. I think we need more DJ LeMahieu's because um, just like 2018, if we don't hit home runs, we're not scoring. We are so dependent on the home run. Granted, we hit a lot of them, sure. which is good. But when you're so dependent on that, um, you lack the ability to adjust to different pitchers and adjust to different circumstances. Some hitters have taken adjustments from that, like John Carlos Stanton, who up until the, this week, uh, when, when he just got injured again, um, he, he was one of the most productive uh, guys in, in the lineup because he just kept getting on base. He walked a lot. He got a lot of singles. Um, and and then, then some people were like, oh, John Carl's not hitting home runs. So, guys, look at his number. He was so productive. So we're starting to see some guys take that approach. But we had a really rough week last week because we were, just like the Mets, leaving way, way too many people on base. Um, if you took a shot for every runner left on base in the Tampa Bay series or in the um, uh, Phillies series, you wouldn't be able to get through the game without getting blocked out. That's how many people we were leaving on base. It, we can't be so dependent on the home run, and I think that's the Yankees thing. Now, yeah. a similarity the Yankees and the Mets have going right now is they both have their their uh, what two of their key hitters not hitting. Well, for the Mets, it's one. It's Pete Alonzo. And the Yankees guy, Gary and Torres, aren't doing anything. And it's concerning. And it's such a weird year for so many reasons. Because we have so many people, like, like well, let's take those three plus Altuve, who aren't doing anything yeah at all. And then you've got crazy home run record, home run numbers like like Aaron Judge, if we played a 90 uh, the 162 game season, he's had a record for 92 home runs. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's we, we got this mix of extreme good and extreme bad. A triple-A team was winning the NL East for a little while. <laughs> I was joking when I said the Marlins versus the Orioles for the World Series. <laughs> that was a joke. That's a real thing that could happen <laughs> As of yeah. right now, when this is being recorded, that's in the realm of reality. So, so many weird things going on. It, it just makes it so much more interesting, so much more fun. But one thing that's not different, and I'll reiterate it again about the Yankees, is we're so dependent on the home run. We need to not be. 
Well, hopefully you guys get it turned around. Um, thanks so much for jumping on. Thanks for us for being a part of our 100th anniversary. Yeah, week. happy 100th. Yeah, I know. It's it's such a weird, weird deal, man. But we'll, uh, and, we'll and, and really quick to, to celebrate. Oh, that's right. You had something to show. Yeah, yeah. So to celebrate 100, the number 100, we're going to celebrate what I assume is about the number 50 because we found um, we, we have like this one closet in our, in our house that um, – all the stuff is left in and me and my parents decide, Hey, we're going to clean, clean this out yeah. for the first time in a while. And we found with uh, a bunch of pictures of my two oldest sisters who are your age. Um, I'm the youngest by far with, with them. We found Not by that far, but it's fine. We, we oh, found what? this glove. The interesting thing about this glove is it is rock hard. You can knock on it. But if you open it up, I don't know if you can see, it says Rawlings inside. It's not a real autograph, obviously, but it has the, the Mickey Mantle tag on it. Oh, cool, cool. So this brings up a lot of questions. My two older sisters did not play baseball at all. This is clearly a kid-sized glove. Yes. So it's like, who does this belong to? We thought it was my dad's. My dad passed about five years ago, so we're not, he's not around to ask. We thought it's him because Mickey Mayo was his favorite player, and he was born in 1948. So this would line up with him growing up uh, because it has the Mickey Mantle thing on it. Yeah. But it's too small to be his hand. He was a big dude. Even in high school, he was well above six feet. And th- this glove is way too small. To, to be a high schooler's glove. So we're kind of, my family's kind of left at this mystery of whose glove is it. We think more than likely it could be his. It could be one of his brothers. Yeah. Who were a little bit smaller than him. We don't know. But if there's anyone listening who knows a lot about um, Rawlings baseball gloves and about like uh, history, how stuff is made, contact me. Let me know. Yeah. You know, Andrew make- Nelson might have a, because like he's a, a baseball history. Really? He's vintage baseball. We'll, we'll shout him out on social to make sure he watches this episode. Yeah. Cause, cause I, I, I really, I want to find out when did Rawlings make this kind of glove that, that had Mickey Mantle thing. I don't know if they continue to make that even after Mickey stopped playing. I don't know, but yeah. I want, I want to do some research on Rawlings gloves and see if I could maybe put a year on this glove. And that would help me uh, kind of figure out uh, who's a belongs to. We think, it's my dad's, but we're not sure because there's this kind of inconsistency. Yeah. I really wanted to share this with you. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. That. And we'll and we'll have Andrew find out. Uh, thanks so much for jumping on, and we will be back with you in a couple of weeks. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, and happy 100. Who's on first? The Let's Get to Local Nine, brought to you by Zoomer Sport. Uh, we are excited to be welcome to the show. One of our favorite people, friend of the show, JD Davis. Uh, Thanks for coming on and celebrating our 100th episode, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad that, that you thought of us for this. We, we love coming on the show and talking about what's going on with uh, Waterburger Field with the Corpus Christi Hooks. And congratulations on the 100th episode, and we're happy to be a part of it. Thanks. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a real kind of uh, growing as it made sense kind of deal. And I think we hit our stride with the, uh, the video content. So it's, it's been interesting that the video numbers are up, and then the podcast has ex- increased exponentially. It's been it's been nuts, man. I tell you, it's been nuts. Um, speaking of nuts, um, you guys need to quit. You need to be nice for my bank account. Um, let's talk a little bit about where the Waterburger stuff came from. I hope my sister-in-law isn't going to watch this episode before her surprise. Cause she's a Corpus Christi girl. So I got her the one with the area code on the back. Nice. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about where that came from, man. You know, um, this is something 
when, when we release these things, it, it's funny. We start kind of thinking back when we kind of get to that, that finish line, which is really just a starting line for the public side. But when we get to that part, where we're releasing it. We try to look back and say, when did this start? Like, how did we, how did we start doing this? And we're kind of going through our notes and it, and it really, it started like two years ago. Um, and I think, you know, the idea probably rattled around, but two years ago is when we really started saying, okay, what would this look like? How do we do this? And, um, we started kind of brainstorming some of those ideas. I remember, you know, sitting, we worked with Brandios on this project. Again, we work with them on a lot of our projects and, um, we were sitting in Las Vegas, at the winter meetings, we sat down with, uh, with Jason from Brandios and we're like, Hey, we've got this crazy idea, but we got to figure out how does it work? Um, and you know, we're trying to kind of do an, an on field version and you have like the corporate side of making sure Whataburger's happy and, and the minor league baseball side of making sure that it fits within the rules and, and all of that. And so, um, you know, he was like, I love this, like, this is gonna be a creative challenge. And we started there. Um, but then it wasn't really until the next, the next December, uh, 2019, when we kind of finalized the look and, and really felt like we, we had it to a spot where we were ready to go. And so, um, you know, really I, the, the genesis of it was to say like, we, we love Whataburger and, and not just, you know, it's really easy as the hooks to be like, well, they're our, you know, corporate partner and we love this business, but it's like, no, like we, like, I love Whataburger. Um, I love, I've lived out of Texas. The first thing I do when I come back to Texas, when I was, when I was out of state was I had went to Whataburger, yeah. I, you know, I landed at the airport at 11 o'clock at night, mom and dad, Hey, let's go to Whataburger. Let's go make this happen. And so we're fans of Whataburger, um, through and through. And we said, we know that there are a lot of other fans out there. And we said, how do we kind of join the hooks and Whataburger and the state of Texas as a whole and kind of make this unique baseball brand identity that, that brings everybody together. And we're, we're really happy. And the, the fan response has been amazing so far seeing, uh, seeing people just loving it. And so um, it's, it's a lot of fun. These projects are always a lot of fun. A couple of things about that. First of all, the Waterburger thing, you know, I run the film festival. I told you about it before. There's a filmmaker that comes in from Toronto every year and that has to be his first stop. So it isn't just us born here. It's people that, are here for, he gets the big sweet tea and he just, he goes crazy. But what I like about the design, and I think it's a kudos to you guys, is it's actually a really classy look. It isn't, I look up, minor league baseball has a lot of food looks. Some of them are, are a little bit more um, on the nose. I like the fact that there is a, a certain Texas pride that goes into this. It, it really is a really great look. Yeah. And I think, you know, we approach all of, like I, um, we were talking about this on, on our hooks baseball podcast, if I give it a little plug here saying, you know, how did we start? And I think, you know, one of the first things we said, um, was, well, we don't want to put a cartoon burger on a, on a hat. And that's not to say that like, I mean, my, I love the wackiness. I love the craziness of minor league baseball, but it just didn't feel like that was Whataburger and the hooks brand. And, and when you look through like a lot of our stuff, I think we always try to do it in a way that's, that's a little unique maybe to that theme night and unique to Corpus Christi. And how do we kind of, you know, make it, make it a little different than what you see from, you know, just a typical uh, minor league logo or something like that. And, and we knew, you know, the, the Whataburger, you know, not only is the food great, but like the Whataburger brand is this really powerful brand here in Texas. And, people immediately like you, you know it when you see it and, and they've got this really big brand equity. And so I think we also want to be really careful of that. And I'm thankful that they let us kind of play in their playground. You know, a lot of people see this and I think, Oh, you know, Whataburger paid, paid a lot of money and they designed this logo and the hook is like, no, no, no. Yeah. We, this is our, this is our project. We took it to Whataburger and they said, yeah, this is kind of cool. Like let's run with this. And so that was, that was kind of a really fun part of it is that, you know, we, we kind of got to, like I said, play around in their sandbox and say, Hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? And they were really open about it and, um, and made sure we kind of stayed within some guides that they had, but it was, it was really fun, really good collaboration. 
I do think, yeah, I think it's like everything else you guys do. There's a clean classic. I mean, this look here, I was telling you before we got on so many people stopping me going, what's that hat? What is that? For? And I think that is the, that's the point, right? So um, kudos to that. Now, one of the things that I have been doing a, a lot is you guys have been streaming. You guys are the, the home of the Astros. Uh, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you call it? The pod or? Yeah, the alternate training site, I guess, okay. is the, that's the official term. Although we call it the taxi squad, even though it's not, you know, it's like the taxi squad is the one that travels. Taxi squad is yeah. easier to, than, than saying alternate training site. <laughs> How much fun has that been to, to be able to see some game? I mean, Jordan's still hitting it out of there. So nothing, not much has changed. It's super cool. You know, um, I think going from, you know, going from the, the low being like, there's not going to be any baseball this season to then us saying, Oh, you know, we're going to get to see a little bit of this practice. And, and at first we were like, well, are they going to let us, are we going to be able to do anything with it? Um, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations about where we can be in the ballpark and are we going to be able to pull this off? And so it, it's been great. Um, being able to work with the Astros and then being flexible uh, on, on, you know, the content side. I know there's other minor league teams that have these alternate training sites that they're not able to share this stuff. And so we just love it that we're able to share it with our fans. We've seen a huge, um, a huge response on Facebook. We're streaming these on Facebook about every other day right now. And um, you know, people are loving it and we're, we're having fun with it. You know, it's not a traditional broadcast. We talked about this a little bit the last time we were on the podcast together about, you know, kind of what, it, what should broadcast look like? And we've kind of taken this really relaxed tone. And and the fact that I'm on the broadcast shows you how relaxed it is. You do a great job. You are a radio broadcaster. Give yourself uh, some credit. You do great. It's, it's fun. It was, it's fun because we're, we're kind of loose with it and we get to have a good time. And, and, you know, we're getting text messages from uh, the pitching coordinator who's calling us out saying we're calling pitches wrong or, you know, Pete Patilla, uh, the Astros assistant general manager, he texted us the other day to give us some track man stats because he's watching and he's got access to the data. And we said, that was a pretty good hit. You know, that went, went to the warning track and he's like, yeah, it was, you know, the exit velocity was 96 miles per hour or something like that. And so it's this really just kind of laid back fun conversation. And it's the middle of the day. You know, most of these, these games are going at one, one or two o'clock in the afternoon. So it's a good time. Maybe take your lunch break and tune in and check it out. And you get to see, yeah, Jordan Alvarez. Of course, he just got called up today as we're recording this, making his appearance with the big league. But we got to see him, got to hit some home runs. And uh, it was fun to see him. And we've got, you know, a bunch of pitchers that are, that are coming out there every day. Um, you know, Jose or Kitty has been throwing the ball. Uh, we've got Fernando Rodney, uh, Chase DeYoung. Um, so several, several of these guys that you're going to see up in Houston pretty soon. Um, and we're getting to watch them firsthand in Corpus like we normally do, but it's just, there's no fans and we have to, to show everybody over Facebook. It's interesting with the Fernando Rodney and the Chase DeYoung, cause those guys got signed out of Sugarland, you know, which is just a really, just shows you how, how random baseball can be. I wanted to ask you a personal question because we had Victoria Huggins on for this show as well. And it's, you know, she's pretty new to this. And it's so tickled to see like Paredes who, who was dominating in Fayetteville and now he's up to big club. You've been in this a minute. Is it still cool to be like, yeah, I remember when that dude was learning it and now he's up here hitting. Is it still that neat for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think so. I, you know, you get there, there are personal connections you make with the players and it's not necessarily a friendship thing, but you see guys and you, maybe you see them struggle or you see them kind of go through some adversity and like you, you latch on and you get connected with those players. Um, you know, I think back one of my favorite guys who, who came up through the Astros, he's not with the Astros anymore, but Teoscar Hernandez was a fantastic guy to watch. And um, he stands out because uh, where we worked in the production room, uh, they have English class right outside of our, our office every day. And so 
I saw the side of Teoscar who was working harder, harder every day, every day, putting in that time to get better at the English language. And now you see, you know, I see him doing English interviews all the time and it, you know, he's, he's totally a natural at it. And he's, you know, at least from my side, it looks like he's, he's comfortable and confident. And so I see that guy and I'm like, I just, I know him because of these random interactions that we had just kind of passing each other in the hallway almost. And, um, and I, I'm going to pull for that guy. I'm going to, you know, cheer from that guy. You mentioned Fernando Rodney, you know, a veteran, the other end of the spectrum, somebody that you think I have no, you know, connection with, but the, the funny story about him, he actually signed his contract to join the Astros in Corpus. And so I get a text message from our, our boss. This was right the, a couple of days before we announced the Whataburger uh, announcement. He said, Hey, I want to get, I'm going to give a cap to um, Rodney for when he signs, I want to get a couple of pictures. And I'm like, okay, like, are we sending these to Houston or what are we doing? And he's like, actually, can you just bring the camera down? And I walk downstairs and Fernando Rodney is in our GM's office signing. And I'm like, Oh, so, and I'm, you know, I'm taking the pictures and, and getting ready to go. And so it's like, Oh, that's kind of a cool, you know, for a guy that's been around and, and going through this, it's kind of cool to document that and be a part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing him get back up there to the big leagues and make an impact. I do want to tell all the guys that I see on the live stream wearing long sleeves at one o'clock in a Corpus Christi game. Like, uh, are you immune to humidity and heat? Because that looks terrible. I think, you know, I think the same thing. And then they, they've got something They're They're thinking through something because one, then you don't have to worry about any sunscreen, which is a, which is a good idea. If, if you're, you know, you don't have to worry about that. And I do think um, they're, they're doing a good job of keeping all that sweat trapped in to, to cool you off a little bit. So I, it's definitely two schools of thought. You have the guys that are out there that are like, I wouldn't be wearing this shirt if I, you know, if I had to, I want it to be as light as possible. And then you have the guys that are up and all you can see are their eyes. They've got a hat, they've got the face mask, they've got a hoodie. And it's like, that's the only thing that's making it out. And so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see how different guys approach it. So I guess as we kind of leave it, you know, you guys are, we're about to jump into your regular off season time. I'm sure I know that the innovator summit will be online, which is going to be sad. And I'm assuming the winter meetings probably won't be, well, pretty largely virtual, but how normal of an off season do you expect? Or are you going to have to like really plan for if you can't have a hundred percent in, in April? Yeah. You know, I, I think um, we keep coming back to this, like everything's unprecedented and just trying to, to figure out what we can do, what we can control and then, you know, plan to be flexible with everything else. And so, you know, like you said, with the innovator summit, that's, that's probably my favorite event when it, when you think of like the minor league baseball league as a whole, um, getting to go to that for those that are outside of the industry, it's, it's a big family reunion for us. Um, and, and once you go a couple of years, you're, you know, you've got your list. Oh, I've, I've got to see this person. I've got to see that person and, and check in with everybody and see what everybody's up to. And so I'm, I'm already, you know, missing that. Um, but I'm excited that there, there's still going to be something going on with the virtual and, and there may be some cool things. Um, I've been talking to some of the folks at minor league baseball, trying to help them with some of the planning. There may be some cool things that we can do where people that normally couldn't come to the innovator summit, maybe from other leagues or things like that can actually present or speak, um, you know, virtually and, and it could be some cool insights there. So I'm hoping to see that, but in terms of planning for the next season, there's, there's so many question marks up in the air. And so uh, for us, um, you know, like you said, there, there's, there's control we can control and kind of set the schedule for what we can set and then, you know, be prepared to be as flexible as possible. And, um, you know, right now with, with the alternate training site, we don't have fans coming into the ballpark, but we're trying to come up with some ways to get fans into the ballpark once that's completed. And, and once the season's over, can we do some things in November, December timeframe that we wouldn't normally do? But, you know, we haven't had fans in the ballpark for a while. Let's see if we can kind of do something to build up this offseason. 
you know, assuming that, um, that the pandemic and everything else is, is at a spot where we can do that. But, um, but yeah, you know, we want to come up with those as, as many different ideas and, and fun things as possible and, uh, and hope for the best next year. Well, JD, I want to thank you again for just being a part of this journey for us. This has been something for me that has been so meaningful and, and my relationship with you is a big part of that. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm honored to be a guest on the hundredth episode and uh, wish you guys the best. And, and I hope I get to come back uh, at least for episode 200, but maybe a couple in between there too. Who's on first? The let's get to local nine brought to you by Zoomer Sport. So we're excited to welcome back to Let's Get To, friend of the show, Andrew Feltz, who's coming on for our 100th episode, part whatever now. But yeah, thanks for jumping back on with us, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, as always. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a crazy year. First of all, just congratulations to you guys, to the Express for really steering into the skid. I think doing a really good job with the TCL. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. You know, we... Our goal is to bring baseball to the community, and this was the hand we were dealt, so we tried our best. And, you know, I think uh, looking back, it was a, a success from our standpoint. What did, what did you think about uh, the whole collegiate summer league thing? It seems to me, you know, in the state of Texas where sports are big, that's the one sort of brand of baseball we don't have a lot here. Do you think that maybe people now will get exposed and we might see a bigger growth in that? You know, I hope so. And I'll, I'll be brutally honest. I had never heard of the Texas Collegiate League prior to when they reached out to us. And so, you know, I was, I was ignorant to it as well. And I think a lot of casual baseball fans might not, you know, understand the league or, or that it's right here in our own backyard. And so I hope that, yeah, that this being able to expand into these big markets like Round Rock, Austin, San Antonio, Amarillo, hopefully that kind of opens people's eyes that, Hey, you know, there's, there's collegiate baseball in the, in the summer in Texas. And there's a lot of talent and a lot of kids from, from local schools and colleges and kids that graduated from high school in the area that are playing in this league. And it's a fun brand of baseball. It's, it's not as, you know, structured, I guess, as, as a minor league season or a major league game would be. It's kids out there having fun, trying to put up numbers and, and, you know, make the most of a summer uh, when they wouldn't be playing otherwise. Yeah. And again, it just blows my mind because this type of baseball is big everywhere else, like the Northwoods League. It's all they talk about, obviously, Cape Cod. Um, How do you think you guys are going to, this is like a really weird macro question, but like this now is going to be part of the fabric of the Express history forever. Will there be any attempt to kind of remember going forward what the Harrymen meant for, for this time period? You know, I, I think so. Uh, we, our staff had a blast with it. it. It was so much fun, not only to, like we said, be able to bring baseball back to this community, but I mean, we rallied around the, the kids that were on the team. And of course the Harry man, people look at that logo and that name and say, you know, what, what is this? What's this all about? And um, I know we've, we've talked about it in, in previous shows, but kind of that local legend getting to bring that to life and, and share that story with more folks throughout uh, Round Rock and Austin. And uh, we've already talked about for the express in 21, continuing to have a, a round rock carry men weekend and what kind of TCL tie-ins can we have in there? If um, you know, you got to be careful about NCAA eligibility, but somehow maybe have those kids back or be able to honor them. Um, you know, especially with the way that, that our season did end. But yeah, I think looking forward, like you said, it's part of our history. It's um, you know, we've talked about Rojo Johnson, the, the Will Ferrell experience when he was out here throwing a first pitch. And that's something that 10, 10 years later, we still talk about it. And I hope yeah down the road and say, Hey, remember that crazy summer when there was no baseball <laughs> we hosted a, a collegiate league team? Talk about the end though, because I, you know, again, I think, um, there's a lot of people that can look at this a lot of different ways and having, I think I went out to seven or eight of the games. You guys have done it the best that I've been all over the country. 
but it's going to happen. How was sort of dealing with the end of that, knowing that you had to basically cancel with three games or so left? How did the kids take it? How did you take it? How did Chris take it? How did it go? You know, it was tough. Uh, like I said, a lot of different ways to approach it, a lot of different emotions, I think, kind of went into it. You know, we – just a roller coaster of – you know, spring training getting suspended in March and thinking, okay, well, we're going to be in the clear. And then all of a sudden that gets turned upside down and minor league season suspended. And we don't know when we're going to play, if we're going to play, how many games. And then to, to lose the season entirely, you know, you're kind of down in the dumps. And then we get this opportunity to, to be in the TCL. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we've been planning for since March to open the ballpark at a limited capacity. Obviously safety is going to be a huge concern. Um, how can we, configure the ballpark to where you can socially distance to where people feel safe. You've got hand sanitizer, you've got cleaning protocols, all these things. And so we, we believed in our plan. We knew we were, were ready to do this and, and at least give it a shot. And, you know, so you had this kind of um, foundation of as soon as we get to a point where it's, it's not safe or we feel uncomfortable, we're going to stop. And that's that from day one was, was what we said. And, you know, if we get two games in or 28 games in, whatever it might be, but, we got to the point um, with two games left in our season where we had a, a player in our clubhouse test positive. You know, we followed the league's protocols with separating that player from, from the facility. And luckily he, he wasn't on site the day he tested positive. So that was good. But okay, good. you start to look at his, his circle and his kind of bubble, if you will, of folks that, you know, share locker with him or locker space that are close, his roommate, his travel partner from when we were on the road trip the week before and, start to test those kids. And we just got to a point where we, we said this, it's not worth the risk of potentially more of our, of our players that, you know, their parents have trusted us, their college coaches have trusted us. Uh, you know, the community kind of trusts us to do the right thing and, and do right by these kids. And so we got to the point where, where we were uncomfortable and, you know, made the difficult decision uh, with two games left to, to end the season early. You know, we were in first place. We won seven of eight or something and, like that. And ra- yeah, rallied to be uh, back in first place. First we did. It was, yeah. It was an exciting week, but uh, it was just, it, it was, it was tough. It, the the kids were upset, but I think they understood, you know, they're, they're, it's a tight knit group and they see, you know, one of their teammates come down with this and they, you know, you're scared and anxious and, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not a ball player. I can't put myself in that, that mindset to have to go then compete knowing that, you know, one of your, your brothers is dealing with this, but you know, I think looking back now, two weeks removed um, from having to shut it down, we, we did the right thing. We did what we said we, said we were going to do. We were, I think, blessed to get 28 games in and, and to have the summer that we did and at least be able to provide uh, some baseball here in Round Rock. But, again, um, yeah, you kind of rest easy knowing that, that we did the right thing and we did what, uh, what we said we were going to do. So what's it like over there now? I mean, um, we're heading into, again, another kind of uncertain offseason. It isn't just COVID, but PBA discussions are happening. And then we're going to be back to another – you know, I'm actually convinced at the doom and gloom level that we will actually have three short MLB seasons. I don't think we finish next year, and I think we start late year after that with what they'll deal with. How are you guys handling all of that stuff, or is it just sort of we are going to just lower our shoulder and push through it? It's a little bit of that. Uh, there's kind of two two different tracks, if you will, that we're on right now. It's One of them is kind of your normal off-season Hey, what, what kind of events can we host here at the stadium? You know, we've got an 11 acre facility that, that we can spread people out and social distance and kind of do things the right way. So it's, you know, it, no idea is a bad idea. We're hosting a, a UFC fight night watch party. We've got movies. Oh, that, yeah. We've got a, a Metallica concert that they're doing remotely that we're going to show in our parking lot. So it's a lot of idea generation like that. Um, you know, smaller stuff too. Can you come have a birthday party out here? Can you come? We're bringing our batting practice back. You can rent the swimming pool or home run dugout. 
um, batting practice. Uh, but then the other kind of track is, is yeah, okay, now we need to shift back into assuming and hoping and praying there's going to be a season in 2021, and now we got to be ready. A lot of it is, is strange because we had our entire 2020 season planned, so we've got giveaways on hand, we've got all of our theme nights planned, we've got folks that were booked to come, guest appearances and things like that that we deferred to 2021. And so a lot of the legwork's done, but now it's looking at what's, what's the stadium capacity going to be? What kind of, um, of the safety protocols that we implemented in for the TCL, are we going to continue into 2021? I assume all of them. Um, so now you're looking at, you know, we operated a max of about 25%. We were closer to 10% just with attendance and really wanted to spread people out. And now you look at, okay, maybe it's 50% or 75%. How can we do that safely? How can we continue to provide the experience that we want to provide, but doing it in a safe manner and correctly? And then, like you said, too, just so much unknown with, with the PBA. And you look at, you know, you start to plan for everything, right? You have scenario A, B, C, D, E, and it's, are the affiliations going to change? Or is our league going to change? You hear rumors about potentially a third AAA league, and now all the yeah. teams that we play are going to be different. Is the season going to be shorter? I know the, the player association is fighting for a shorter season, and, you know, do we start later? Do we end earlier? I mean, there's just so much unknown. And so we're trying as best as we can to, to plan and to be ready for any scenario. But the way this thing has gone, I mean, who knows what it's going to look like uh, eight months from now. I got to imagine, though, a third AAA league with maybe making travel a little easier for you guys might be welcome. I wouldn't mind that at all. You know, when, when this whole COVID thing first started, I think one of the, the first things that the Pacific Coast League decided to do was no cross-conference travel. The West Coast teams don't need to be coming into the central time zone, the central team zone. And we said, okay, you know, <laughs> no more flights to Tacoma or to Las Vegas or to yeah. – I mean, we're okay with that like, from a travel perspective. <laughs> Well, so I guess before we head out then, uh, what is happening at the Dell? You mentioned the Metallica concert. What are, what are some of the big things we can do to kind of go experience a little bit of the Dell Diamond before the year is out? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, yeah, like I said, coming up with, with any, any sort of idea. We've yeah, got the big parking lot uh, Metallica show. We've rented some like 20 foot by 40 foot big inflatable screens and got a big uh, FM transmitter. And so you can pull in, turn your car to the station and you hear the Metallica concert in your car and uh, so that's going to be really cool. We're looking at that. We're looking at potentially some more in-stadium concerts. We had a, a successful 4th of July show with Granger Smith out here with kind of pod seating on the field, uh, seven by seven pods that were all seven feet apart. And so people, you know, felt socially distanced. They followed the rules. So we looked at kind of bringing some of those back. And I kind of said a minute ago, no idea is a bad idea. If you said, hey, I've got a, you know, club and we want to come play on the field, we're like, bring it, let's go. So like I said, come take batting practice, come swim in the pool. We've got this home run dugout. I don't know if, if you've never seen it. It's really cool. It's um, imagine like a top golf, but for baseball. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. VR type um, augmented reality is, is the phrase they use, but we're renting that out to folks. And so, um, I mean, really yeah, anything we can do that, to get creative, that's either small groups or, or maybe a little bit bigger crowd, but it's socially distanced and we can use this whole facility and spread out to, you know, we're open for it and we're, we're ready to do it. We're looking forward to, you know, the fall, we've got maybe potential Halloween or fall festival, things like that. You get into kind of Christmas time and lights and um, trailer lights type deals and different things like that. So we're kind of in a planning and stage and looking at what makes sense and what can we execute and, you know, what do we think people are going to be interested in and come out and do uh, safely. Well, Andrew, I just want to say thank you uh, for all the baseball fans out there. Knowing knowing you, knowing how hard you guys all worked, it really didn't go unnoticed and it really meant a lot to all of us. So thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And I want to say too, before we go, hundred shows. Congratulations! That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's been neat. Part of it, but I tell you what, from from us, and I'm sure 
pretty much anybody else that's been on the show, I'm sure would say like, thank you for you, for telling our stories, for sharing our struggles and our successes. And man, I'm excited for a hundred more. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. And that does wrap us up for this episode of Let's Get To. I want to thank everybody for joining us. We will be back this week as we continue to celebrate our 100th episode. I do want to shout out to the Cleveland Indians, uh, Terry Francona, and the way they've handled the Mike Clevenger police act situation. I love the idea that they had an open forum where teammates felt like they could express themselves. And more importantly, they listened. So many times today we have situations like that where they're like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll listen. We'll take it under advisement and they'll do whatever they want to do anyway. The idea that they sent those guys down, I hope they stay down for the rest of the season. I hope that they, the team rallies around the guys that are there and they continue to win. Uh, but I thought it was a really good, classy move of them. And Major League Baseball can't in one hand say we care about it and then on another hand act like they don't. So, again, the, the move to demote Clevenger and Plesak, which is going to affect their, shir- their service time and all of that stuff, I think it was a really good one. It's a rare sign of integrity these days, and we applaud them. We'll be back a little bit later on this week for some more celebrations of our 100th episode. So stay with us. And until next time, let's get to. 